Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. Of the people who believe that the gender pain gap exists, 63% of the women believe that this is the case because women aren't taken seriously and are often viewed as emotional. Welcome back to another episode of the Menopause Coach Podcast. I am your host as always, Adele Johnston, and I'm joined with a very special guest with us this week, ladies. I know that you are going to be absolutely blown away with what we are going to talk about today. And we do have a number of topics that we want to touch upon. So we're going to jump into this one. We're going to cut the fluff. We're just going to get straight to this episode. So I am joined by Dr. Aziza Sesey an NHS GP and GP educator, honorary senior clinical lecturer, host, speaker and health content creator. You will find her very actively over on Instagram at Talks with Dr. Ceci. I would absolutely highly recommend that you hit that follow button. I love her content and it was an absolute must have for me to reach out and discuss how we could get together and talk. She's a strong passion for health education, awareness, advocacy and empowerment. And she channels this through her platform Talks with Dr. Ceci where she shares short, informative videos. She also has a YouTube channel as well. So if you like more short form content, then definitely getting over there, ladies. She also has across her Instagram many infographics, does many live discussions and so many tips on the variety of topics that we are going to talk about today with a massive emphasis on women's health and gynecological health, touching on cancer awareness and also mental health. So it is absolutely my honour to have you join us here today, Dr. Ceci. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm I'm really honoured to be here. Amazing. What we wanted to bring to our listeners today on the Menopause Coach podcast was an array of topics really surrounding women's health empowerment. And we're going to jump straight in with one of them, which is really close to my heart. It was one of my biggest, I would say, impacts of perimenopause, which was my vulva and vaginal health and happiness, right? (laughs) Happiness Mm -hmm. goes alongside that. Mm -hmm. So I would love to jump into this one and chat with you, Dr. Stacey, around how we can be more aware, which might sound like a crazy question, but hear me out, how we can be more aware of our vulva and vaginal health and happiness journey as women. I really love that question. I love that we're having this conversation as well, because how often do we hear those words being said in general? It's not that often. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of taboos surrounding those words. People are often really embarrassed. And as soon as those words are mentioned, um, it's often met with sort of negativity or there's that hypersexualization as well often. And that is societal. That's what we've been grown up with learning. Um, we're not often thought 
the correct words either, unfortunately. So a lot of people tend to use euphemisms. I'm sure you've heard that we've all called it different things. Some people have said flowers, you know, cookie and all of these words, which, you know, is, is completely unnecessary. And I feel that that just perpetuates the problem. So the first thing that we can do to love our beautiful vulvas and vaginas is to say these words out and knowing the differences between the two. Because that's another big thing that I found and I still, every single day to now, to date, I'm still seeing people incorrectly stating that the vagina is the vulva. And I see it on news articles. I see it in magazines all the time. And I think that if we can start with that, knowing the differences, saying the words, removing the taboo and embarrassments associated with it is the first step to loving and knowing our vulvas and vaginas. When we move on from that, the other thing I would say is knowing what your normal is. And one way of doing that, and this is a big thing that I really advocate for, and you probably see it pinned on my Instagram page, is how to check your vulva. And that involves the self-examination of your vulva. This is the thing where there's probably a lot of women that are with us right now listening, saying, oh my gosh, I have never even looked at it before. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. So yeah. Do you mind sharing with us then maybe a couple of really nice compassionate, like self-loving tips on how we can look at and also touch our vulva without the fear of thinking this is this is awful. I shouldn't be doing this. Well, the first thing to say is a vulva is part of your beautiful body. It's part of you, you know, um, and it it actually it's it housed and it helps to get loads of different pleasurable things happening. And, you know, it's part of where it it helps you urinate. It, you know, helps babies to come out and so on. This is part of your body. Um, just embrace it, love it, know it. Um, it. There shouldn't be any shame. There shouldn't be any embarrassment associated with it. Just like we moisturize our face, just like we, you know, touch our elbows or our shoulders, just like we examine our breasts. It's the same thing. It's not a sexualized, even if it is done in a sexual way, it's not to be seen as a negative. I would definitely encourage you to make sure that you try and check and examine your vulvas at least once a month. So the first thing you do is always make sure that your hands are clean because that area is very sensitive and you don't want to introduce any inf infection. So yeah, get your hands washed, sit inside a room, get comfortable. You can sit down if you want, or you can squat, whatever is most comfortable for you. Spread your legs apart, get a handheld mirror, make sure that the room is well lit, or you can use a torch and just look, look at the handheld mirror and examine all the different aspects of your vulva. So when we say vulva, we mean the external gynecological anatomy or the external female reproductive anatomy. And essentially you have the different parts. So the mons pubis is at the top and it's at the, the fleshy bit. It's often covered with hair. And if we move downwards, you have the outer lips, which is also quite um, sort of fleshy and um, it it's often covered with hair. Inside of that is your labia minora, which again can come in different sizes and different colors, different shapes. Know what it's normal for you. Um, and then you have your clitoral hood, which is just at the top that covers your clitoris. And all you can see on the outside, the part of the clitoris that you can see out on the outside is only 10% of the whole clitoral complex. And it's only in the recent sort of 
15 years or so that we've found out the full extent of the clitoris, which is crazy when you think about it. But yes, you get the clitoral hood, the small part of the clitoris, the glands of the clitoris. And then as you go downwards, you have the urethral opening. So that's the opening of the urethra, so the tube that connects uh, the bladder to the outside where the urine comes out. And below that, or sometimes the urethra can actually be a little bit inside the vaginal opening, is the vaginal opening. Um, and that's basically the only aspect of the vagina that you really see. So that's why when we say the vulva is on the outside, it really is the outside. The vaginal canal is this muscular tube um, that basically connects the outside to the uterus, essentially. And then as you go lower down, um, you have what's called the perineum. Uh, so that's sort of the skin in between the vaginal opening uh, to the anus. So that's the whole aspect of the vulva. And when we say to look at it, I want you to look at all those areas in, in their glory. And it's often worth separating uh, both the outer lips, look in between the outer and inner lips, look in between the inner lips. You know, you want to look at all the structures that I've just mentioned. You want to see if there's any new changes. If you can notice any isolated redness or bruising or any thickening of the skin. So any um, skin color changes, any skin changes, any rash um, if you notice a new mole or if you've had a mole before, if you notice any changes to the mole where it's sort of it's itchy or it's darker or it's bigger or so on and so forth, you basically want to see if there's anything that is different to what your normal is. And if you don't know what your normal is yet, get to know your normal by regularly examining and checking your vulva. Because as I say, that's an important part of your body and it's yours and there's no shame that should be associated with it. And I also just want to stress here that it's important to know that everyone's vulva is different, okay? There's such a massive diversity when it comes to vulvas. Please don't look at yours and think, oh, this doesn't look like what I've seen on the mainstream media. Because yes, there's only a specific look that we often see. There are so many diverse vulvas out there. And, I, and there's even this um, great book called The Volvo Gallery, which basically she's managed to get so many different vulvas drawings and the variety is, is so eye-opening. And I think it's reassuring for a lot of people because often if you see the ones that uh, is portrayed on textbooks or, or I guess in the porn industry and so on, you think, oh my, it's supposed to look like those, but actually there's such a massive variation. Something that stuck out for me there was that only 10% of the clitoris can be seen. The majority of it is well within our body, right? And yet such a pleasure point for a lot of us. But also when we associate with the changes in perimenopause, we can actually have impacts to the clitoris itself, the, the, the hood, the labia, everything can become a bit more tender or itchy or sore, swollen. It might actually shrink back. One of my symptoms, so a lot of mine were vaginal, which is why I have got very acquainted with my vulva and vagina to know what feels normal, but also what looks normal for me because I did notice shrinking and I did notice that even having orgasms or climaxing became a, a problem for me. So these are all things that we have to be aware that are changes for us and we should never feel that we can't speak up about it, right? It's about having that platform to say, yeah, this is not normal for me. 
Absolutely. And I don't think anyone should ever suffer in silence as well. And it's not anything to be ashamed of talking about either, because that's another thing. I think so many people are ashamed and maybe it's associated with a lot of discomfort having these sort of conversations. So they don't go and seek help. And then, you know, they're, they're suffering in silence. And this is one of the important messages. I really hope that after listening to this podcast, um, all of you remember, if you have something that isn't you know, your normal or isn't working right for you or is making you unhappy, please, please see your doctor. Come and see us. We want to see, we want to help you. We want to make a change. You shouldn't be in pain. You shouldn't be suffering in silence. We're here to help. I think based around um, personal experience and also experience of many of my clients around the world, there's still many doctors that aren't, I suppose, past that point of even their own maybe bias towards it. And certainly we can find a lot of this if women are presenting even with some discomfort or with ongoing thrush. This is something I find happens a lot with many ladies that I speak to. They'll they'll just accept that actually, well, I, I kind of get thrush every month and it's just something I've always had to deal with or the pain or the discomfort is just something that comes and goes. And, you know, I get creams from the GP and, but it's never getting to the root cause of the issue. So there's probably still that, that gap. Would it be fair to say where some GPs are more knowledgeable than others? Yeah, I, I would say that. Unfortunately, that is a reality. And we do know that. I mean, when we look at the government's call to action that they released um, last year and, and the women's health strategy that's recently come out and one of the pointers is that they need to increase the women's health education from medical school and all the way up, essentially. So yes, there's a variation in the levels of understanding and, and partly to do with the training that we've been given or the lack thereof. So some people may not have had that um, opportunity to have the women's health training. So that can definitely play part. And as you say, there is also that unconscious and unconscious bias that's associated. Um, but I think what helps as well as, of course, we definitely need to improve um, the care that we're providing as healthcare providers. I think it really, really helps. And this is why I'm very passionate about health education is when patients are also aware of things too, so that they can advocate for themselves. So for instance, you mentioned someone might say, oh, I've had thrush for so long and the GP has given me cream, so on and so forth. If you know that the GP should really, if you've had multiple you know, episodes of similar symptoms and you've not been examined, then you can challenge the doctor and say, well, okay, can you please examine me now to make sure that it is thrush? How do you know for sure? Have you done swabs? You know, you need that confirmation and so on and so forth. I think that if we educate enough people want to be aware that I mean, you shouldn't really be getting recurrent thrush and it's not something that you should be suffering with constantly. And also you should really be examined and you should have swabs done and so on and so forth. If we make sure that people are aware of this and hopefully, yes, they can advocate for themselves and change the outcome. I'm a big, 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 big um, advocate for that. <laughs> yes, I love that. And that's what I do love about your energy in this space as well, because this whole empowerment piece, it's it's my language. And this is definitely where you know, as women, we have a duty of care to ourselves that we can't just expect that the medical field are going to be our experts. It's our bodies. And this is where we need to stand forward and say when something isn't feeling right or normal for us. Because something I say to a lot of my clients is, you know your body better than any specialist ever will. 
Mm. It's so important that you get to know your body. Your body speaks with you, communicates with you, to you and for you trillions of times in the day between your thought processes, your connection to the physical self. You know, all of this is so important that if we notice, for example, here's something that comes up a lot, and especially within the female health space, as well as into perimenopause, is around heavy bleeding. And this is something where a lot of this will come up around, well, I have painful periods or heavy periods. And, you know, I I had a client who first joined me and for years had just thought that it was absolutely normal that she had painful, heavy bleed periods that saturated through clothing and bed linen until I'd said, you know, this is this is not normal and this is not something you have to accept. So do you find that this is something that comes up a lot? Absolutely. And actually, I did a reel on this the other day um, and it seemed to resonate with so many people. I I literally got so many messages and comments saying, thank you so much. This is what I needed to hear, because essentially in my reel, it was me looking at the screen to say, look, if you have heavy periods and they're painful, or even if they're just heavy or just painful, either of the two, that is not normal. That is not a normal part of being a woman. It's not just what you expect. Do you understand? Because I think that's one of the main problems that there's so many things that women are just taught to expect. We're just taught to manage pain. Sex is supposed to be painful. Periods is supposed to be painful. Childbirth is supposed to be painful. And you just endure that, which should not be the case. So absolutely, I agree that this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I'm, and we need to get that information out there because heavy periods can be caused by so many different things. I mean, it's not always that we will find the cause, but if we can, for instance, it could be because of fibroids. It could be because of endometriosis or having hormonal imbalances for conditions like PCOS or thyroid uh, problems, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. These are things that can potentially be managed accordingly to you know, help with the conditions or with the symptoms that the patient is experiencing, similarly with painful periods and so on. It's not something that should be disrupting your day-to-day activity where, you know, you can't get on Mm. with your day, you can't work and so on and so forth. It's not something that you just have to put up with. No, not at all. Please, please, please seek advice from a doctor if you have any of these symptoms or if you notice a change in, in your symptoms to become this way. And if you feel as though your doctor is not listening to you, tell them how you feel. And if you still don't feel that they're listening to you even then and you've said to them, look, can you just at least do these investigations and they're still not doing it? then you can go for a second opinion. That is well within your right. You're allowed to see another clinician if you feel you're not getting the support that you need and deserve. So I would definitely push for that um, as a reality. I think if anybody is listening to this and yes, you've been struggling with really heavy periods or they've been very painful or you've never had this before and it's just started, please seek the help and support that you need and deserve. Um, there, there, There are treatment options out there and they can help usually. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much. And it's just the the power behind this, right? It's the power behind when we connect with ourselves, with our bodies, with what feels right for us. And even, you know, not even what feels right all the time, what, what we, what we feel happy and comfortable around. Like you've said, you know, sex is not meant to be painful. It isn't. Having a monthly bleed or a menstrual cycle is not meant to be painful. 
So this is where we get to step forward. And actually, when we've mentioned about this, about the, the whole pain piece, I remember you had mentioned something. And I've seen this across your social platform, across many people's social platforms in the female empowerment space, was around the gender pain gap. And this is something that blew my mind when it was really presented forward because it's something where I think a lot of women will resonate with this when we start to chat through this, if you're open to it. But around the gender pain gap, so P-A-I-N, not pay, (laughs) um, it's a different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. We are looking at the fact that women, those born as females with female reproductive systems, are generalized under it can't be that painful or it can't be that bad. You've just got a little bit of hysterics around where things are. So it might be a nice segue for us to ta- to kind of talk a little bit around this if you're open to. No, yes, I think this is a very important conversation. Absolutely. So there's been a recent survey that was released and it was done by Neurofen and it's the first of its kind. It's about time, actually. I'm really, really pleased that it's come out. This was only last month. And essentially, they surveyed 5,000 women and men. And some of the st- uh, statistical figures that came out was over 50% of women saying that they felt that their pain was ignored or dismissed. And nearly a third of them said that they didn't want to waste their healthcare professional times, even though they were in pain. You also had 27% of women saying that they self-diagnosed because the wait times were just ridiculous. They're really, really long at the moment. And unfortunately, I think mm. um, in April this year, they said that the waiting times have increased by 60% for gynecological treatment or gynecological management, which is the most um, compared to all the other specialties, 60%. So you have people who are waiting and suffering for such a long period of times. And of the people who believe that the gender pain gap exists, 63% of the women believe that this is the case because women aren't taken seriously and are often viewed as emotional, which is a really painful thing in itself, Mm. you know, when you're not taking seriously and Mm -hmm. your symptoms are dismissed and it's put down to you just being emotional. So it's something that definitely needs to carry on with regards to the conversation being had, but we need to make a change as well, because this not only comes from a personal level, it comes from a generalized, a public, it's a public health issue. We need to change the narrative. Things need to be better. Women shouldn't suffer. That's not, (laughs) that shouldn't be what is expected. No, absolutely not. And I wonder, has this just come from centuries of women just I don't know, growing up through different generational eras that actually we don't talk about our pain. We don't talk about what's wrong. We show up in this kind of happiness and vibrancy and we hide all the things that don't ooze that or radiate that. And that, that it, I suppose speaking about it now with you, it just, it makes me feel very emotional. And I'm happy to say that, you know, emotional about the fact that actually thinking about the amount of women, there's probably some listening and I see you and I hear you right now listening to this thinking, yeah, I don't bother speaking up about it. And I've had this ache or this pain for so long and I've never mentioned it because, you know, nothing will get done or I'll have to go around and maybe, you know, run around the housing block 30 times, stand on my head and try and pogo stick at the same time before I can get an appointment with my GP. So yeah, it becomes challenging, I think, from all of this, right? No, absolutely. And I echo what you're saying to um, your listeners. I'm sorry that you're going through this. We hear you. We're here for you. And 
hopefully things will get better because we are speaking on it and we want things to get better. You've shared some amazing statistics there. I didn't know that you knew all of that. It's amazing. So thank you for that around the Neurofen research. I will need to read it. I'm really interested to find out more. Something that I had actually found out whilst I was doing a bit of reading on this myself was around in the 1800s, there was a woman in Liverpool who had actually died after years of pain in her uterus. She'd apparently spoken up about it, was dismissed, put it down to hysteria, which for those of you familiar in the menopause space, this is what they used to refer to menopause as before they realised what it truly was. So hysteria was diagnosed for women when they hit their menopausal age because they would they would change, right? They would become more aggressive or angry or tearful or emotional. And yeah, it was the kind of famous historical label for the menopause, which is just god awful. Um, But this woman, unfortunately, did pass from a lot of pain and undiagnosed extensive damage in her pelvic and abdominal organs in her postmortem were revealed. So she was in excruciating pain, not believed. And it just really started to raise the question of, well, actually, we fully appreciate that the female reproductive system and the male reproductive system are different. And one woman's pain threshold or capability is entirely different to someone else's. Like we spoke about the vulva and the vagina, they're different, right? We don't have a a one mold for everyone, which is what makes us unique and, and special. So yeah, it's probably just that emphasis again around being aware of what really does feel right for you and knowing that these kind of misinterpretations of, well, it can't be that bad. Yeah, don't allow that to happen to you if you're needing care, if you're needing support with what you're experiencing, then it's super important that you allow your body to communicate that to you. And if it's not feeling right, that you know you have somewhere to reach out and ask for help. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Thank you so much for creating this space and having this conversation. I really hope that um, it will encourage anyone um, to, to come forward. I think it's also really important, as you say, to state that pain is subjective. Okay. And like you say, everybody has their different levels of or thresholds when it comes to pain. Um, and your pain matters. And the reason, um, that I keep encouraging patients to come forward if they notice anything different is because I'm not saying that we're going to diagnose you with something sinister. Um, but oftentimes if you come forward sooner rather than later, if it is, a sinister diagnosis, um, then hopefully we've picked it up early where treatment is more likely to be curative, more likely to be less invasive. And hopefully then you get, again, you get the treatment sooner. So you've not, you're not suffering for years and years on end. And this is something that we see a lot. There are certain symptoms um, that I'm constantly talking about. So when I, because we're talking about gynecological health and I'm, I'm really passionate when it comes to gynecological cancers, because some of them are completely preventable. So I just wanted to really quickly talk about um, some of the symptoms mm-hmm. to look out for, if that's okay, Adele. 
please do. And I think there's probably this this element here where we can almost find ourselves a little bit frightened to talk about cancers and to talk about impacts of gynecological illnesses or or diseases that we can even come up against. But it's nothing to be fearful of when you know what to look out for or what to to feel for. And that can be the difference between us being able to seek help quickly and and potentially not get the help that we deserved. So yes, please do talk about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm not talking about it, honestly, to scare anyone. It's just, I really, truly believe that knowledge is power. And if the information is out there and you are experiencing any of these symptoms, I hope that you go and see your doctor. And again, it's not to say that it means that you have you have cancer or anything sinister. It's just to say that hopefully if, if that is the case, which we don't want it to be, and it's often rarely, um, it will be picked up early um, before it's spread anywhere and treatment is more likely to be curative. So the symptoms are, um, the first red flag symptom is if you notice any abnormal bleeding. So that's if you notice that you're, if you're still having periods, if your periods have gotten suddenly much heavier than before, more painful or different to what's normal for you, if you're bleeding in between periods, if you notice that you're bleeding during or after intercourse, if you've gone past the menopause, you've not bled at all for 12 consecutive months, and then all of a sudden you've had a, a bleed please get that checked out. Um, also, if you notice any persisting bloating, so this is where your abdomen is distended uh, for three weeks or more consistently, please get that checked out. Um, that's often a symptom of ovarian cancer. If you notice that there's changes to your toileting habits, so your um, change in your bowel habits or you're passing water more frequently, because of the vicinity of the bowels to your gynecological organs and also your bladder, that's why you can sometimes have urinary or bowel symptoms um, because if there is a tumor growing in that area, it will irritate it. So those are symptoms to look out for as well. If you notice any change to your vaginal discharge, so vaginal discharge does vary through the month, but if you notice that there it's becoming blood stained or it's becoming black, foul smelling, different to what's normal than for you, please get it checked out. If you notice that you are getting any vaginal soreness or vulval soreness or any changes to your vulva from doing your vulval checks, like I was just saying to you, if you notice any new changes, any thickening, any redness, any lumps, any new moles or changes to the moles that you already have, anything like that, just please, please, please get these symptoms checked out so we can make sure that it isn't anything sinister, which as I say, is rarely the case. And you are never going to annoy your health provider by asking for some support and just reassurance. Um, we do experience changes to our vulva on the outside as we age. We experience changes as our estradiol levels drop through our perimenopause and then into postmenopause. So you may experience some shrinkage. You may experience just some changes to how it looks or feels for you. But what is best is that you actually get that medical opinion to say, yes, it's very healthy. And I think this is where, again, we come into the female side of getting our smear tests done, right? We can have this kind of underlying preconception that it's going to be painful and we shouldn't be getting it because, you know, I just don't want this so embarrassing. So maybe if we can end upon this element here where we're suggesting that we shouldn't be experiencing pain when we have a smear test done, 
that shouldn't be something that happens. It is a bit discomforting for some women. So I wonder, could we maybe have a little bit of a chat around that from your experience? Of course. And thank you so much for bringing up cervical screening. Uh, Very, very important. It saves thousands of lives a year. But I appreciate that for some people, it can be quite daunting. Again, it's often associated with some embarrassment and it can be painful for some people, but it shouldn't be. There are certain things that we normally recommend or advise, some tips that I often share, particularly for, because this is a menopause podcast, for women who have gone through menopause. I mean, often that area can be, you know, quite dry, quite um, sensitive, and that's why inserting the speculum is painful. So often we advise um, those group of women to use, you know, the estrogen gel onto that area, you know, for a, a week or so beforehand, just prepping for it. Uh, don't use it for a couple of days beforehand because that can affect um, when they are going to examine, do the test. But you can also please ask them to use lubrication, okay? You are allowed to have this uh, speculum examination done even mm-hmm. with lubrication. I just want to stress that because I think some there's some areas where they don't use lubrication at all because they say, oh, it's going to affect the results. No, they're allowed to use it. So more towards um, the middle of the speculum and that would help to make it more comfortable. If they don't have the lubrication then you can provide it. You can bring your own, you can bring your own water-based one if you have sensitivity to the lubrication that they use on site. Also, you can ask them to try you on the smaller speculum first. They do come in different sizes. So speculum, sorry, in case you don't know, it's a tool that we use them to insert into the vagina, to separate the vaginal walls in order to see the cervix, which is where we take the sample from. Also, you can ask them either to talk you through what they're doing as they're doing it, or if you'd rather not know, you can listen to music as they're doing it. You can ask them to stop at any point. There are some breathing exercises and some psychological tools that you can use. Some people use DBT and so on. So I would definitely recommend all of of those tips. I'd also advise you to please, 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 before the procedure, just tell the clinician who's doing it how you feel, if you feel nervous or if you're worried that it might be painful. So at least they're aware and they can talk you through it and they can take it easy. It may be worth bringing someone else with you who you trust, um, who can maybe hold your hands and so on, or they can ask for a nurse to be in to help and distract you or um, someone from reception who has chaperone training and so on and so forth. These are just little tips that do help some people. And yeah, just to say that you are in control, okay? And the doctor will listen to you. Nobody's going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. And please, please, please speak up. Don't just endure the pain. If you are in agony, you should not be in agony. Just say, please, can you stop? Can I take a break? Maybe they can reposition you to make it more comfortable for you. But those are the little things that hopefully often help some people and it may help you. Thank you so much for that. I think even just listening to you, I'm I'm like, yes, I feel quite prepared for my next (laughs) smear test or cervical screening appointment now when it lands through the door and you go, oh, I don't want to do it. But I think equally, it's, you know, it's the importance that we get to feel the gratitude and the blessing that we have these reminders and that we can turn up and have these checks done. So I always give that reminder of our gratitudes and our blessings within our female health. And and yes, it's so important. But like Dr. Stacey says, we do not need to endure pain during it. So if it is uncomfortable for you, you're finding that it's causing you some pain, then just speaking up and saying, can we take a break, please? 
I love that. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure and a very fast half an hour talking through all things women's health empowerment. We have discussed our health empowerment through vulva health and vaginal care through gynecological direction. We have also looked at the gender pain gap and how we can advocate for women's health and the freedom of that care. And we've even touched upon the fact that when we look at things like our cervical screening and when we look at things like our own body, that includes our vulva and our vagina areas as well. So just getting very clear that these are yours, ladies. They're part of your beautiful, unique, glowing, vibrant bodies and you are allowed to touch them and you are allowed to look at them. So please get familiar with yourself and get familiar with what feels right for you and your body. Okay, it is absolutely your right and your requirement for your own health care to be aware of that. Dr. Stacey, thank you so much for your time, your life currency, your energy today. Where can ladies come and find you if they want to get familiar with more of what you are doing right now from listening to you today? Uh, thank you so much, Adele. Thank you for having me. I feel really empowered just having this conversation. Honestly, I'm so passionate about this and I think it's brilliant that you have this platform out there for women. So well done to you. Um, but if anyone wants to find me, I am at Talks with Dr. Sisse. You can find me at that name on Instagram. I, I put a lot of content on there um, on the similar topic, to be honest, and also on YouTube, on Facebook, all of them are at Talks with Dr. Sisse. And um, you can email me on drsisse101 at gmail.com. Um, just if you have any queries, uh, not personal medical advice, but just general queries. <laughs> Amazing. We will pop all of those links into the show notes as always, so that you can just go below and click. Thank you so much, everyone, for being present with us today and for going through this topic. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please do give us a rating and a review. It helps us to grow and reach more women worldwide. And I think you will agree that this is one of those topics that must be shared far and wide around this beautiful world that we are in. And as always, I hope you are subscribed. If you're a subscriber to the Menopause Coach podcast, you do get these episodes a little bit earlier but shh, don't tell anyone else because if they're not subscribed, they do not get it. So until next time, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to reading all of your reviews when you land them in. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing to help keep these episodes coming. Please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. Because together, we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream. <laughs>